Met a girl downtown at the bar last night and we got talking. Said she likes cheap drinks and tattoos and Morgan Wallen. She said, what about you? I said, I like late night bonfires, Yellowstone, Whiskey Myers, and lifted trucks with mud on the tires and I'm back. Yeah, good to go. All right, man. Thanks for coming. Dallas Alexander. Thanks for having me. Yeah, buddy. Former JTF2 sniper. Sort of sort of went viral there with the Sean Ryan podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's awesome, man. Thanks for coming. Um, you're part of the, the team, the sniper team with the longest sniper kill in history. That's right. Still stands. I Still think. stands. Yeah. How far was that? Uh, 3,540 meters. Fuck. That's crazy. Three and a half K or something, right? Yeah. I've been told it's like around 2.2 miles if you're listening from that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For the Americans. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Especially, what are we... Eight hours, nine hours away from your your concert at the Horseshoe Tavern in Toronto. Yeah, that's right, something like, like that. Jam packed schedule. Yeah, so I had to drive up to Uxbridge to do a podcast. Yeah, yeah. it's a nice drive out here. Oh, it's beauty, eh? Yeah, yeah it's awesome. Uh, before before we obviously get to the former part of the JTF two story, it's like like what's uh, what's your story? Where are you from? Uh, I'm from Alberta. I grew up in the middle of nowhere, a little Métis settlement called Fishing Lake Métis settlement. Um, and I spent most of my life there, younger life, until I think I joined the military around 23, 24, something like that. So before that, it was all just Alberta stuff, playing hockey, uh, working in the oil field, and spending a shitload of time outside. Yeah, man. So typical Canadian kid. <clears throat> That's right. Yeah. Grow up <laughs> very Western Canada, play hockey. Always had a, a dream on joining the military, or was that just something that... No, it was... I didn't know much about the military. It was it was just something I didn't really pay attention to um, when I was younger. And I was working in the oil field on an off-season, and the guy I was working with had done like one three- or four-year stint in the military as like a comms guy or something. Uh, and he was telling me about JTF2. And I didn't believe him at first. I was like, I don't... I've never heard of this counterterrorism unit in Canada. <clears throat> But what the fuck did I know? I was, you know, 19 or whatever. Uh, so I looked it up on the, the old dial-up internet. I was like, holy shit, he's telling me the truth. So as soon as I, I realized that that was a potential, like you could do that for a job, I was hooked. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. Because I was debating, this would have been, so I would have been a little older than 19 actually. It would have been my last year of junior hockey. So I would have been 21 or whatever. I was an overage. So I was looking into like, what am I going to do next? Had a couple of places I could potentially still go play hockey, like at a, a semi-pro kind of level. I, I wasn't going to make it to the show, <laughs> but I could still do hockey like for a job maybe. Uh, but when I heard about this this unit, I was like, oh, that's what I'm going to fucking do. So I just after that that conversation, it wasn't very much longer. Just doing a little bit of research on the military, I went to the recruiting center and was like. I want to join. This is it. Yeah. So it was never like a life, lifelong goal or plan or anything. It was just presented itself, and I was like, "That sounds pretty cool." Fuck yeah! Well, it is funny. I didn't even, I didn't even know what JTF two <clears throat> was until I'd probably been a cop for like ten years, and I heard I was talking to tech guys, and they talk about JTF two. I'm like, "What the fuck is that?" Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know. I don't. I don't think most Canadians have a clue what that is, or that Canada mm-hmm. even has something like that right yeah. everything's navy seals and all the the rangers and the americans yeah totally yeah. right people have no idea 
So yeah. like JTF2 would be what, the equivalent of the SEALs or? Uh, depends on the SEAL team. So we're categorized, or, or they are rather, uh, as a tier one unit because of a hostage rescue mandate. So like SEAL Team 6, uh, they are tier one unit because of a hostage rescue mandate kind of anywhere around the world. Uh, the U.S. is Delta, uh, the SAS out of the U.K., like those those groups. So there's a bunch of SEAL teams that don't have a hostage rescue mandate. So they would be like a tier, they'd be like the Rangers, okay. uh, or tier two sort of special operations. So does Canada have that shit, or is it like so? We got your yeah, we do. We have CSOR, okay, uh, which are sort of like the U.S. Rangers and Delta model. So they'll have like they work together, and we work with CSOR all the time. Uh, just slightly different jobs, depending on on what the mission is. Right on, and it's it's fairly like from the guys I know that are in there. It's it's like very secretive or hush hush. Like you have like a backstory. I think what did you have one of those? Like no, you didn't really tell people that you were on JTF two. Oh was yeah, sort of like yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. until now, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's that's fucked now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's out the window. Yeah, do you get any? Uh, backlash from that i'm getting ahead of myself i think but like backlash from the boys or backlash from like people that may have surprised you um not many not many like backlash from the government yes backlash (laughs) from the unit and chain of command yes uh but backlash from the boys no i all the guys that i respect i had conversations with first before really doing anything um And I knew I was going to chat about my career um, for a bunch of different reasons. And uh, yeah, I, I met and went over it hours and hours and many beers with lots of different dudes that I respect to get their opinion on stuff. Mm-hmm. And no, man, after... So really first talking about it would have been like... I, I was posting about it a little bit and stuff. And then I went on the Sean Ryan show, like we were chatting about. And that was like where a big audience kind of saw and heard stuff. Um, and immediately after I got so many messages of support, like from the boys, I got messaged from overseas, the guys that were deployed. They're like, we just watched the whole fucking show. It was awesome. Um, so that's all I care about. I don't care if the wieners in the chain of command like it or not, or like good. I, or the government for that matter. Amen. Because <laughs> I feel like there's not a lot of things we see eye to eye on. <laughs> no, ditto. <laughs> yeah. Ditto. So, yeah. Yeah. Backlash, just not any that I cared about. Good. Yeah. So obviously you played hockey. <clears throat> did you, did you uh, find that playing junior hockey, like I played tier two junior here and I always found that the best cops I ever worked with, a lot of them, if not all of them, either played some, you know, heavy level of sport, whether it's hockey, it doesn't matter. Pick a sport, high level yeah. of sport. They were the best cops. What did you find? Like, did you find that your junior hockey helped you with, you know, making your way into it? Something like JTF where it's an elite unit. Yeah, for sure. Like there's the, there's the fitness and the, the discipline, you know, to stay um, in shape for your job, you know, whether it's military or to be playing a high level sport that as a foundation is something that if if you're not in it's easy to take it for granted like you're surrounded by athletes you're playing sports you're like okay everyone just stays fit everyone does not stay fit <laughs> like it's it's crazy so just that as a foundation is good but then yeah the other thing like the teamwork you know the the battling through adversity 
be it a playoff game, a losing streak, you name it. Like you, you learn so many lessons. And for most kids that are playing a high level, um, later on, you know, that you start pretty young. So you're learning these lessons young. You're learning about being part of a team. You're learning about physical fitness and just all the stuff that goes with that. And it helps immensely, I think, for for life after, but especially life, you know, in the military or in special operations. Yeah, no no doubt. So you get this guy uh, you're working with in the oil fields, which had to have been quite the experience. I Like, obviously, being a guy from eastern Canada. Yeah. I, I just... When I think of the West, I just think of like dudes, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, and then obviously the oil fields, <laughs> yeah. like that must've been fucking wild. I, I, for the most part, I enjoyed it. Um, there, were, so I, I did a bunch of different jobs where I was working with this guy. I was just like helping on this truck. We'd go to wells that were kind of messed up and sort them out with a flush by truck, not to get into it all, but yeah. We would just drive around and like, go do your thing, and then go to the next site. And it was it was a pretty good, chill job. There was one I was working for a company, and I was like going <clears throat> way, way, way up north. Um, and I was a, a mechanic assistant on like the big oil rigs. That job was so shitty. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, the work wasn't bad. I was learning a lot. Like I'm not a mechanic, so to be his assistant, I like I learned a, a ton of stuff. The hours were long, but that didn't bother me either. It was like you would end at whatever time, and you're just staying at like this little shitty camp or hotel with nothing around. Like just, and I was young. There's no, there's no fun. There's no women. There's no like. They had bars. like if there was a bar, it was the the worst. It's the place you didn't want to be. So like the guy I was working with, would be like we'd work like eighteen hours. He'd crush like twelve beer and go sleep and wake up like five hours later and do it again. And I'm like, this is horrible. Like I would finish and I was a hockey. I'd go for a run. Yeah. And then I'm like, well now what? Like go to sleep six hours later, get up and I did that for maybe like a month. <clears throat> and then I got back and I was like. <laughs> I'm never doing another cycle of that. And the pay was amazing, but I was like, it's not worth the trade-off for my life. <laughs> like, no. So that's the guy that led you to JTF, at least the dream. No, that was not the guy. No. The guy is the, the the truck that I was on. We'd go around and like and sort out these wells. And that was just, we'd be driving all day and fixing shit. And that's where the conversation led to. I guess there was someone like in that company that was one of the dispatchers or something that was in the airborne regiment which was disbanded and then but some people went and uh when jtf2 started became some of the early assaulters and there was one guy that was like somewhere in that transition from airborne to maybe jtf2 and now worked there so that's how the story came up and then i was like i have no idea what that is and started looking into it so did you have to apply to like the military as like regular yeah, peon infantry guy for sure. And I don't even know what infantry is. Now I'm just making shit up. I just I don't I don't know much about well, the military. Really. It is infantry. Yeah. yeah so okay. uh, you have to do two years at the time. I'm not sure what all the timelines and stuff are now. It's probably pretty close to similar. But you had to do two years uh, in the reg force before you could apply to go on selection for JTF two. So just from what I was looking at, I was like infantry, just like a grunt soldier, seems like the best. <laughs> place for me to start so i just went to the recruiting center and i was like i want to join the infantry 
how hard was it to get on that? Like, was it just simply like you walk in there, like they'll take anybody or is it? Yeah, they basically you know, take anyone. Like you yeah. do an aptitude test to make sure you're not completely, you know, brain dead or whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think there's like an aptitude test and a drug test or something. Um, but like, I mean, basically anyone could become infantry. <laughs> so at the beginning, you're probably surrounded by absolute beauties. Yeah. <laughs> it was a crazy mix because like there's kids that... Like, I was done junior, so I would probably have been 22 or 23. I'm not grown up, but, like, you go on basic training with kids that are, like, freshly 18 all the way up to, you know, guys that are later in life. Like, oh, I think I want to join, whatever. And basic training is not just for infantry. It's for anything. So you could, like, the guy, like, in the bunk next to me was, like, 40 and joining as, like, a musician playing some horn or something, like, for the military band and then i'm going the infantry and the guy on the other side's like going to be a cook and then this one's going to be uh so it's just basic training just everyone going in the military they try to get you the that basic level of understanding but more like just sort you out if you're all fucked up in your life like <laughs> so so it's not because the guy playing the horn is going to get sent to afghanistan ever. that's right that's right <laughs> at all no. okay those courses come later so it's like basic training and then like a combat course and then like infantry specific stuff. And then you go to whatever battalion after you're done those. Uh, okay. So you're the two years between <clears throat> joining and JTF, you're just training or. Yeah. So it's, it's courses. It's whatever you're doing. Now you can deploy. I tried to deploy to Afghanistan because the company I ended up in, in Edmonton, uh, 3P PCLI, uh, the company I got to had just got back from overseas. Um, but there were some opportunities that were that were coming up to go to Afghanistan um, and tried and tried and just didn't get a tour until I got to Dwyer Hill. And Dwyer Hill is GTF? Yeah, sorry. So okay. Dwyer Hill is like it's the, the camp. Okay. Our, our little camp. So you apply to GTF selection and then they, they're like, yeah, man, you're you're one of the guys. Well, it's so it starts in the unit that you're in, the battalion that you're in. So for me, it was in Edmonton, like I was saying. Uh, there's a, a PT test, like a fitness test, uh, and then a certain standard you have to get on that. And then there's a psychological evaluation or two. There's a, there's a couple. And if you uh, do well on those and have the support of the chain of command, they send off this file to JTF uh, 2 and then yeah, you'll you go on a selection, a seven day selection. Hell week. Hell week. What was that <laughs> yeah. like? Uh, it was looking back at it, like anything hard. I'm like, that was kind of fun. Like not fun, but you know, it was a cool experience. Uh, in it, it sucked. It's yeah. just nonstop. Uh, it's 24 hours a day, and it's physical and it's psychological. It's just like testing everything anxiety yeah yeah i i did arcane i got an arcane unit but before i obviously do the hell week ours was only five days and hell work hell yeah, work week <laughs> yeah it was it was it was fucking awful you're right like you you think about quitting but there's like i've never like never would i have quit yeah but i thought about it oh I yeah remember like it would be so nice left too. it'd be so nice if yeah. i just quit right now. yeah so <laughs> yeah. i started with five guys ended up being just the two of us like the last three days because guys quit uh one guy couldn't handle the fucking uh the pound dog they gave us pound dogs for the week too so not only are you fucking 
getting killed all week with yeah. physical stuff and scenarios. We have these fucking pound dogs with us that we got to take care of. So one guy just couldn't handle the dogs. So we could quit for that reason. Oh, really? yeah. Another okay. guy just quit because it's yeah. terrible, right? Yeah. But seven days, 20, like, did you get any sleep? Yeah. Well, there's like sleep, quote unquote. But sort like, of. there's just, there's so much. Uh, be like, okay, go to sleep. And we'll fucking like, what the fuck? But you have like a bunch of tasks you have to do for it. You're like, oh, I got to sort all this out. I got to be ready for it. Who knows what? And then like, you know, storming. However, an hour later, like it's just it's so all over the place. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and the guys running are, I bet you, are in pretty good character, right? Like, oh yeah, they do a good job. Oh yeah, the they guys do you job. end up working with too later. Like, guys, you end up working yeah. with, which is a funny thing because you <laughs> fucking scarred. You're like, okay, this guy's an asshole. Yeah. It turns out he's actually a really nice guy. <laughs> it's crazy, eh? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So seven days of that, and then how many guys started your hell week? Uh, so they do a bunch of different cereals. So like the one I was on, because uh, they're recruiting from the entire like Canadian forces. Um, so the one I was on, I think there was 30, 30 ish that started, and they and they try and run as many cereals as they can to get, because it's like a lot start and not very many finish. So out of all the cereals, they try to get enough uh, to run an assaulter course in the year. Um, and then there's attrition from that as well. So I don't know how many cereals there were the year I was in, but I think my Salter course after selection was, I want to say like 25 or so started. Um, and then that's like a eight month course, give or take, they, they add on to it sometimes to take off from it. Um, and then you lose guys on that course too. Uh, it's long and it's tough and the standards are pretty high for all kinds of just everything, shooting and insertion methods and all the fighting, like all the, all the stuff. So I think I don't remember the numbers. I'm trying to picture our course picture in my head. It's, it's something like 16 or 17 of us. Like when it was all said and done, you finished selection, you finished the course. Now you can like go to the squadrons and be part of the unit. That's crazy. Yeah that process of selection then you get trained when was your first tour like uh, as a jtf2 so i got operating. to the squadron in 2009 um we immediately went and we were like uh deployed it wasn't deployed we were just on the west coast because we had the olympics going on in vancouver so we were there and started like as soon as i got there there's a bunch of training and stuff like on on ships and all the trains that were in vancouver and all the different things that could be a scenario if there was going to be some type of terrorist attack or whatever during the olympics so we were just kind of prepared for that um and then i went to afghanistan in 2010 so 2009 into the squadron it was a really olympic focus for me there were guys overseas already but my first tour was not till 2010 okay yeah so a tour as a JTF operator, what does that entail? It's got to be different. Like I got buddies who went to Afghanistan as like your regular military guy. Yeah. And then JTF is there. Like are you at the same camp as these guys? Or are you guys sort no, of like. Not normally. No one really knows what you guys are doing. Sort yeah, of thing? that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know what I was doing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's very different. And especially the one, especially the, the task that I got, um, I was with like this team that was not from my squadron. So there's just like a mix 
of assaulters from kind of different places in the unit. And we were helping our intelligence service with like, uh, you call it source handling operations. So like we were in charge of the security of a meeting between a source and an intelligence person. So the security is the pickup and how you get that person. Because you can't, for a lot of these sources, you can't just like go meet at a coffee shop and they have a conversation about what the fucking Taliban is up to, you know, and walk off because that person will now be dead five minutes later. So you have to do a bunch of different things in order to make sure they're not being surveilled or followed. and, And it's just, it's just like this big game. Yep. in order to get them to a place where they can chat with this intelligence service person. And then the reverse on a drop-off is to make sure that they're not seen or followed or heard from. So that if they are telling secrets that whoever they work for deem should not be told, ideally they don't know that they're talking to anyone. Yeah, so. for sure. That's crazy because I think, well, what I would picture, like you ever watches these fucking movies, right? You just go overseas and you go kill people and come home. Yeah. Like the surveillance part of it, that's really cool because that's what I did tail end of my career. That's fucking, yeah. you know, so on top of having all these other things you need to do, like you end up being a sniper, we'll get into that. Yeah. But you got to do this other cool shit too. Well, this was, I, and I was like, oh man, I got to go do that fucking task. I just wanted to be like doing DAs, right? Like, cause we had another group that was just going to compounds and like looking for bad guys. And I was like, that's what I wanted yeah. to do. But it ended up being, I was glad I did this tour because it was so different. Like, it was, you know, I'd be dressed in like, I'd look, try to, the best I could to look like, you know, an Afghani sitting on the corner and just like would ride a motorbike up, smoke cigarettes. And I just had my radio and like a pistol underneath my man jammies and be like watching someone. Okay. Yeah. No one followed him down this alleyway. Let's say we move to the next part before we do a pickup. We're like, He'll get on the motorbike and you rip through town. And like, it was just, it was cool. It felt like, you know, a fucking spy movie or something. And it's you're badass, running man. around Afghanistan. I was like, this is wild. Yeah. yeah. Did you find that difficult? I always did going from uniform cop, canine cop, like, like t- quote unquote, like your typical cop, yeah. beard, tattoo, like cop, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I had to go do surveillance and I'm like, fuck, I have to unlearn every habit yeah. I've ever built. Yeah. as a cop and now not be one because yeah. it's especially the way we look you fucking totally it's hard right so yeah. that's fucking awesome yeah it was it was good i didn't find it too hard i've never been a really good soldier <laughs> so like <laughs> i feel like i didn't uh you know i didn't take on too many of the like soldier characteristics uh most of my sergeant majors would probably agree with that that's fucking uh, funny but it was definitely it was it was it became a very interesting and, and fun experience I was glad I did. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. And then at that point, were you already a sniper or that came? No, that came after. On? So this tour was, I think it ended up being, we got extended a couple of times. I think I was there for around eight months. <clears throat> so 2010 into 2011. And then 2012, uh, I believe I did my sniper course. So I had done, during my two years in 3PPCLI in Edmonton, I'd done the like the reg four sniper course just while I had the two years before I was allowed to go on selection or try out. So I'd done the regular four sniper course already. And then, uh, excuse me. And then I wanted to, I like, I let the chain of command know when I got to Dwyer Hill that I was like, eventually I'd like to go do the sniper course here. 
um, I wanted to get some experience in the squadron first with breaching and the CQB and like some deployments. So yeah, got to go overseas. Did and then in those two years, there was a, a ton of different you know squadron training events and all kinds of things. I got a bunch of breaching experience, so I was like, I'm ready to go if if I can. So I went on 2012 to our sniper course at the the hill. How tough was that? Uh, it wasn't anything crazy. Like the the part that's hard is just the standard of shooting. You know, okay. like it's physical because stalking is physical. But it's like very much, I call it like a gentleman's course, sort of. It, you know, it's, you have talented uh, snipers, shooters that are just trying to teach you how to get good. You know, it's not like the Canadian Reg Force one, very different. Yeah. <laughs> they're like trying to fucking, it's almost like, a, you know, they're like, they're giving it to you. You know, like they sort of, it's still kind of a test. Like we want to see if you have what it takes. Um, the JTF two one, it's already you're already an assaulter, and it's just assaulters teaching assaulters. So you're just, they're just trying to get the best sniper product, like the best sniper out of each guy, if you're capable of doing it. So it's not a it's not a real high attrition rate. Oh. It's just the the hard part is the standards are very high for like precision shooting. Yeah, so more training than a selection type course. Yeah, 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 right? for sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because like, so you're telling me off off mic, you're six five. So mm-hmm. I picture like you, like you have yeah. to crawl and, and you know, <laughs> yeah. not be seen. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm making this up, but I know the sniper courses for the tack guys, you got to like crawl a certain amount of distance over a certain amount of time and make a shot. Yeah. Right. So, I, you know, I just, that, that for me would be like the hardest part of how slowly you have to move. Yeah. There's some, so that's, we call that part stalking and it's like you, you through the woods or through whatever terrain you're in and you have to get to a position and take a shot and like, it's crazy like you're being observed the whole time and just the the procedure of it it makes it very challenging but it's it's great uh it's really good training because like the level at which like how hard it is to do that i've yet to see anything in the real world that's like that hard you know what i mean like you're trained past where where you would almost ever need to use it which is comforting (laughs) (laughs) no for sure how many snipers were on your team um so each team is like it depends you kind of you work with a partner shooter spotter team uh but then the debt will be like a four-man sniper debt so two teams make up like a debt okay so you got your like you rotate spotter shooter like Mm -hmm. back and forth type thing yeah okay right on so you're are you back and forth to afghanistan like often or like uh so 2010 2010 into 2011 uh was the only time i went to afghanistan and the next one was 20 it like afghanistan slowed down so did my sniper course 2012 and then i didn't deploy again there was kind of nothing going on or not much we did like a couple little things here and there we'd go train people wherever and come back um there was nothing really going on until we really stepped into Iraq and my first tour there was 20, uh, I think it was 2014. So there was like a two year kind of break, um, which pissed me off a bit because <laughs> all I had ever heard is like, you know, Oh, when you go to JTF two, it's so busy. You're deploying all the time. And I was like, okay, good. Let's go. And I got a tour and then there's like, Oh yeah, it's kind of slowed down. And I'm like, well, till when? I just fucking got here. Uh, but thankful, I mean, thankfully, or however you look at it, 
we found more work. Uh, and then, yeah, Iraq 2014, I think was the first tour. And then I went to two or uh, three more times, I think, after that. Yeah. No, I, I like how you say that, though. But, it's like, what you did, like, it's funny. Like, people that, that look at me as a cop, they're like, oh, that's fucking cool, right? Me looking at what you did, I'm like, that's fucking so badass. Right? <laughs> I, I think that's so fucking cool. And it takes a breed of person to want to go do the craziest shit on earth like it but it needs to be done so yeah whether you, you like the fucking sound of that like you know there's good violence yeah right there's bad oh. violence and there's fucking very good violence yeah required is, violence. yeah man like let's yeah. fucking go yeah right so yes yeah, so you you had your lulls yeah right what'd you do like you come back to like where did you live when you're uh like, in ottawa yeah so in ottawa and like the the pace didn't really slow down because you just train so much. So we go all over the place to train all over the world, um, all over Canada. So even if you weren't deployed, like it, it was a busy, busy schedule for my whole career. I was gone either training or deployed six to eight months every single year. Wow. So like no deployment. Sure. But you're still like, you're all over yeah. the place. Yeah. How was that with family life? Uh, it's tough. Yeah, I it's bet. tough. Yeah, uh, I enjoy the pace more now. <laughs> <laughs> Being a musician, fuck yeah. yeah, yeah. How many kids do you have? I got three and one on the way. You fucking mental case. Yeah, How old are you? I just turned forty. One on the way. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, I'd like you, to do one or two more. You fucking maniac. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Oh, that's cool. What are the like? What's the age range then? Well, you got oh, this be- boy is sixteen. And the the one coming is zero. Yeah. So we got sixteen a big range. That's fuck that's crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah. So how how is that well yeah, especially with like your sixteen year old, so you know. Yeah, so my two boys are the older ones and yeah. they they are the ones who live through like that. Now I think with anything and especially kind of the young man's game, young man's journey, uh you there's sacrifices you have to make. Uh, and one good thing about a job like this is yes, you're gone and busy and deployed, but you do have big chunks of time off. So you come back from overseas with leave and with post deployment leave and all this stuff, you could have a month, you could have two months off sometimes. And that's just like family focused. Like you were there and I mean, you could you could have a job and not be present every time you're home or, you know, it's just, there, there is a trade-off. So I was just trying to be as present as I could with my children when I was there and then, you know, try and balance what the, the sacrifice is to do the job I was doing. Um, got a lot easier once like FaceTime was a thing. <laughs> I'll yeah. tell you that. Like, yeah. Fuck is 2000. Like the like, Afghanistan tour, we, uh, we didn't have any video chat face. Some of the bases had it set up, but like we were not in a base. We were like in a safe house in the city. Somewhere. And so I would like call them, you know, once a week or whatever. But like little kids don't want to talk on a fucking phone. <laughs> like, hi, dad. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Talk to you next week. Uh, but once we had like Wi-Fi and FaceTime, I literally would like FaceTime twice a day if we were not out doing like an actual job or something or before we'd go out like FaceTime, come back, FaceTime. So it, it made it a lot easier. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. Did you find it tough to go from like, you know, 
you're you're overseas doing what you got to do and you come home do you find it hard to shut your brain off or like just naturally uh not really well it depends what you mean because my brain still doesn't turn off <laughs> like there's some stuff that it just it's funny it's like the saying from rambo <laughs> you know like you just don't turn it off but there's a bunch of shit i wouldn't want to turn off anyway like uh, yes, I've been trained and conditioned to like pay attention to certain things and all this stuff, and I, you do it, you know. And I go to a restaurant or I'm downtown and all these things, um, and I don't know. It's looked at as a negative sometimes because it, you know, it makes your brain more active. But I wouldn't want to turn it off and just be a zombie anyway. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's just like, who you are, anyways. Yeah, yeah, I see so many people that just don't pay attention to shit. <laughs> just walk down the street on their phone, and I'm like. You are just a walking victim. Like anyone who wants to do bad shit, like you're the perfect target. You're not paying attention to anything. You don't you even know what's going on in the world. You have headphones in for oh, fuck's sakes. Like, <laughs> have you seen the? It was done like on purpose, um, but it was a guy literally grabs a fucking child mm-hmm. and pulls her into this the alleyway. Alleyway, and yeah. people are like on their phone. They look. Just yeah. keep going. Just keep going. Yeah. Zero situational awareness. Unbelievable. Like. The, like negative situation yeah <laughs> like, yeah you're like here's the deficit <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh yeah so <laughs> i mean turning that stuff off i still don't know uh yeah. but like the the real there could be yeah there's some challenges like because you're you're in a state like of maximum aggression overseas you know what i mean like if you're gonna go do a hit in the middle of the night you're like you got to get pretty jacked up, but you have to stay calm. So it's a weird balance. Like you just have to be ready for maximum violence around every corner or doorway, but also calm enough so that you could shoot with precision and move quietly. And like all these, it's just a crazy space to be in. So yeah, coming home sometimes I'm like, well, this is weird, but it's also one of the things I appreciated most about getting uh, to see and do the stuff that I got to see and do is just like the wide range of human experience, like to see what happens in other countries that we don't see here and then come home and just have like a backyard barbecue. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're not worried about a VBIED driving into your house or whatever. It's like, it's so wild. The spectrum of human experience on this planet. Uh, I really appreciate it, Like having gotten to see that. Yeah. I guess it makes you appreciate like, western culture more oh fuck we're like, so so lucky over here so, yeah. and it's just luck because like i was just i had no part in being born here in canada just a lucky motherfucker yeah man <laughs> like, oh i bet yeah did your kids I, I think i was lucky by the time i left policing i never really had to have that conversation that i had with my dad because he was a cop and i i was always wor- like i remember being younger being worried yeah you get killed yeah. But I never had to have those conversations. Do you ever had to have those? Uh, a little bit. I mean, with my, my kids and my parents, uh, they were a little concerned. But, like, in special operations, you stack the deck in your favor as much as you possibly can every time you go do something. So that was kind of where I'm like, yeah, they're dangerous countries. I'm like... But I'm rolling with really dangerous dudes. <laughs> so, like, you know, and we've got great weapons. We've got technology. We've got fucking air assets. And we've got, we like, you want to always have an overmatch of the enemy, no matter what that is, no matter where you can get it. And we we did that pretty well most of the time. So, uh, 
you're in dangerous situations, obviously, but I don't know. I always felt like we gave ourselves the upper hand most of the time. Fuck yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So the infamous sniper shot heard worldwide. <laughs> yeah. Right. What? Tell us, walk us through that shit. Yeah. So, uh, I think that was the second, the second roto that I was in Iraq. Um, and we had been helping to push ISIS back away from kind of Kurdistan and just keep pushing them. And the fight ended up in uh, Mosul, a city called Mosul. And there's a river that goes through the city and they were on one side and the Iraqis with the help of like kind of everyone, the rest of the world had pushed ISIS back to the other side. Uh, There's this big hotel on the river it's like a nine-story building. Uh, there were Iraqi police and army, I think, that already occupied it. So ISIS had taken it, taken it, then it took it back, and like now it was occupied as like a, a defensive kind of stronghold. And we ended up uh, getting into that building, but on the top floor, and that was uh, an OP um, or like a, a place that we would observe from, and, and we were there to really try and support the Iraqis. We're going to push now on the ISIS side of the river and push them out of the city. But this was like city fighting. So it's like, it's slow. It's fucking, it's vicious. But we had a great, uh, we had great arcs from up there. We could observe everything. The river was a couple hundred meters in front of us. We could see out to like four kilometers uh, looking into into the city so we were there uh 50 i think it was like 53 or 54 days um but we would go in for like a week go back to our base uh resupply and wait because we were trying to one build an intelligence picture which most of sniping is just watching (laughs) watching and watching and watching uh and when the iraqis finally started pushing we knew everything we could see like the back of our hand like you you've every fucking building and alleyway labeled you know the range and distance and what the elevation hold is for your rifle and everything so when the fight started we were we were ready we're like fucking finally because <laughs> there were so many like false starts they're like we'd be back at like our fob and like okay they're pushing so we'd rip out there occupy the op again get everything and then it's like wait 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 week week and we're like Okay, well, we'll go do resupply. We'll chill. Wait for the next. So finally, they start uh, this push, and like, thank God it happened then because this was our last week, and we were getting ripped out, like to go home, and the next sniper team and and other guys are going to take over the op. So they start the push, and before this, before we go overseas on this tour, and anyone that I've ever gone, we go down to Texas to train. Uh, long range shooting because they have one of the best programs I've ever seen uh, is accuracy first down there. The winds you get to shoot in and the distance you get to shoot. We're pushing past three K down there in Texas. And this is workup training before going overseas. And when we were shooting, I was like, I told, we had a, a group of us that went and like one of our Sergeant majors, I told them, I was like, I promise on this tour, we're going to break the world record. They're <clears throat> like, what the fuck? <laughs> they thought it was so cocky, which it, yeah. it probably was. But like the guys on the team I was with were 
like so good and we were hitting these these ranges in texas and i'm like i've been to iraq i know what this battlefield looks like i'm I'm like i'm telling you we're gonna break the world record like the babe ruth of sniping that's right (laughs) pointed fuck yeah (laughs) so when this push finally happened i'm like it was it was far away from us at first. It was like four k to three and a half, and the fight kind of moved a little bit closer to us as it progressed. But that first, uh, it was the first real day of the push. We were supporting by sniper fire because we could see the ISIS guys fighting and the Iraqis pushing. We we had like a perpendicular view of the entire fight, so we started like sending support sniper. So like an ISIS guy would be firing at the convoy the iraqis pushing and we could send around and we we're like just getting the winds dialed in and stuff a buddy like so there's a sniper team two men and just like five six feet from us was the other so there's two teams two guns pointed down range the top floor of this building uh and a buddy of mine sent around and it ricocheted off the ground and hit this guy in the leg and I was like, holy shit, you just hit a guy. At, like It was like 3,600 meters or something like that at this point. And we're like, that's fucking... And so he went down and they, they had this little like ambulance motorbike that would just pick go around picking up guys. So he's like, motorbike rips up, gets the guy on, takes him off to wherever they were taking care of their their hurt dudes. Um, we're like, well, that's crazy. and Because it's so far and the time of flight is so long that like we'd be shooting... And it was more to control the battlefield movement of the guys, you know, like so they couldn't just stay in one place and and you know attack whatever Iraqi guys were coming. Now, obviously, we were trying to hit them, but like just a variance in the rounds you use, like burning, you know, eight or ten feet per second slower or faster. Like that's a huge difference at three and a half kilometers on target. So there's so many things, but. We were really getting dialed in, and there's uh, this guy was coming out of the back of this building. So a bunch of these ISIS fighters went into this building. So we we tried to call an airstrike, or we did call an airstrike, but it was like a dud. It doesn't happen often, but it happens sometimes. So there's like just nothing. It's like fuck. So this guy out of the second story building, so he was lowering his like his uh, like his fighting vest and then his AK, and we could see it, and everything was labeled in our brains, and and like we knew the place. So I told. Like my buddy who was shooting, I'm like the corner of this building. Here's your elevation. Here's your wind call, and he's like on standby. So I send it, and he sends it simultaneously. The team over here is doing the same thing. So two rounds, they go out, and uh, ten seconds later, the guy's like goes. He comes down from the window, goes to pick up his rifle, and the round went like right through his kind of side and back. And then he just crumbled. And I was like, hit. And he's, they're over there like, hit. And I was like, no, no, no. Because <laughs> you don't know. It's like there's no way to spot around with a culmination point that high, that long. Like you can't see squirrel. So maybe both hit him. One of the rounds or both of them hit. Uh, no, no, it was one because we th- there's a video. One hit and one landed just beside on the left. Um, oh, fuck. So it's like, oh, my God, crazy. But. You're, you're still like you're in a like there's more guys it's a battle right so like i'm like no now go to the alleyway like there's four guys stacking up and actually right after that shot there's four guys stacked on this alleyway sent another two rounds and it was crazy it landed 
right between their heads on this wall. And from my spotting perspective, like all four of them hit the ground. And I was like, did we just get like a fucking double kill, <laughs> triple kill? <laughs> they kind of like shook it off and they ran down this alleyway. And I was like, no, like literally missed by inches. Fuck. Like from that, that was one of the crazier things. And there's, there's a video of that as well. So we watched a bunch of times like that is insane. Uh, but the fight from that shot kind of just crept closer to us every day for the next like three or four days. Um, so it just got more and more lethal for ISIS. And I said this before, I'm like, we weren't really tracking it that much after because we'd made a really long shot. So, but I bet you like the previous record, I bet it was broken three, four times. Just by you guys. Just by that week of uh, like engaging these guys because of the, the type of battlefield we were on. Fuck. What kind of, I'm not a, I'm not a crazy gun guy. Um, what kind of gun were you shooting? My buddy's a huge gun nut. He'll fucking love this shit. So. Yeah, it was a, a bolt action 50 cal. McMillan TAC 50. Fuck, 50 cal. Yeah. Those things are gigantic. They are. Fuck. They're not super fun to shoot either. Like, no? oh, I, I'll be happy if I never shoot one again the rest of my fucking life. But like, we would be, because most of the fighting would be from like 4 or 5 a.m. to like lunchtime or 1 o'clock. And then it would all die down. Super weird. I appreciated the schedule, <laughs> but it was super weird because we were like finished and like, okay, everything's dying down. Now we're just looking, we're watching, seeing what movement's happening and whatever, and like having a coffee, <laughs> fucking flip flops in this hotel room. And then like go to bed, keep the OP shifts going. Cause we were with the sniper team and other guys from the squadron on the OP. So we'd like watch all night and all day. And then like, they just come in at like 4am, like wake up the sniper team. It's like, God, they're starting to move. Fighting would start. We'd engage. Lunchtime would roll around. It would all die down again. Um, so, yeah, it's it crazy. But we we're shooting a lot. And the 50 cal, man, it fucking rocks you. Like, yeah. So we'd end and be looking at each other like brain dead in the room. And like, uh, everyone else feeling this way? <laughs> yeah. yeah, just the... Like just I've listened to a few of your podcasts. Like, would would that cause the concussions and all that? Oh yeah, it's a huge. Like, it's it, there's a lot of research going on with it now because for like the MTBI stuff, it's a it's a big it's one of the big ones. It's like the 50 cal shooting, um, explosive breaching, obviously. Yeah. Even your hearing too, like. Uh, he, well, it's all suppressed, so like we, it's it's not crazy crazy loud. Okay. Um it's just the impact of every shot and like kind of the overpressure. Um, but yeah, like for the, the concussion stuff and the MTBI stuff, it's, that was a big factor. That one, like I said, breaching explosive and like the, the parachute opening stuff. Like when you're doing free fall, those three are the biggest really eh? contributors, I think to, I mean, and then fighting obviously. <laughs> like, yeah. So you're kind of getting it from all over the place. <laughs> So so is that uh, fifty cal like in a museum somewhere? Like where is that fucking gun? Uh, I don't know where they have it right now. I wonder if they gave it to someone. I'm gonna ask about that. Yeah, it's it good should point. be yours. Yeah, or, or one of the four guys. Yeah, right? let's each take a part of it or something. It's fucking cool, man. <laughs> yeah, right. I think they just kept using it. We left it there. So when that week was done, we got uh, like the next team rolled in, 
and we were on our way out and we just we left those guns for them to kind of keep using because they were working well yeah. <laughs> uh but they weren't in that hotel very much longer our really good government <laughs> put the story out while those guys were still there and they got attacked and they had to like pull off the position and go find a different uh alternate op to use that is so fucked up and I, like it is it's you know so and it's up. like you're laughing well because it's so fucked like, yeah. am I surprised having worked for the government? Not really, because they're fucking idiots. Yeah. But, like, when you think, like, the elite of the elite who go overseas and their job is to kill bad people. Yeah. They basically give up your position and endanger you guys. Yeah. yeah. For a good news story. That could have waited. And, like, I got a bunch of backlash for, for talking about this stuff five years later. Like, well, fuck, six years later. I'm like, you idiots put the story out while we were still on the ground. So don't fucking tell me about OPSEC, like operational security. Like, just, it's so, it's so insane. <laughs> Who put the story out? Uh, well, it was the Canadian Armed Forces and the government of Canada. So the, the general and the prime minister were like, well, this is a good news story. We want the people to hear about this. Um, and they put it out. And it was through, I think, Globe and Mail. Um, crazy. Yeah. yeah. So when they when they released the story, because I've seen parts of the video, um, they obviously where you, we can see where you are in the video. So now ISIS knows where you are. Yeah. Well, they didn't put out the video. Oh they, no. No no no. But it doesn't take a very intelligent person to look at where the guy was shot and where you could shoot from. Like okay. Any kid who's ever played Call of Duty could be like, <laughs> okay, if I got sniped here, it's over there. What's over here? Oh, there's a fucking. The only thing that could see us is this building on the river. Um, yeah, so it's just crazy. It's, it was stupid. <laughs> yeah, big time. And yeah. that uh, the T-shirt you made. What's the hotel called? Is that the that's yeah the, the Nineveh hotel. hotel? Yeah, it's fucking sick. Yeah, so we there was like we got a picture of the like what their hotel logo was and that's what's on the shirt from like they had it on everything like you know all the shit in the ho- like a shoehorn and like a pack of matches or whatever um so i got i got the shirts made after after we're back and that's my one of my that's merch funny. items that's badass <laughs> yeah well i made it because i was like i wanted one it's like that's, i want one and i so know cool. all the boys want them so i was like well let's just make it and it could become uh fucking mean something yeah that's yeah. badass man that's cool you actually mentioned uh, another thing on the Sean Ryan podcast that got my blood boiling. And I think, not I think, you've got a t-shirt. Uh, what's it say in the bottom? Uh, dirt naps for pedos or something? Yeah. Which I fucking love. It's yeah. beautiful. It's so well written. Right? <laughs> it's like poetry. Yeah, that's right. right? But so you, when you were overseas, you heard that there was like sex trafficking shit going on. Like, yeah. like you fight from five till noon and then it's like a sex, sex trafficking party. Well, it, it would be like... So we heard about it, and like this is what I, I said on Sean Ryan. I was like, I I don't know why I didn't even think about that because, like, it's such a fucked up, dismantled society when there's a war going on. Um, that of course that's going to be part of it somewhere. So I was like, how naive am I that I didn't even think about this until it was mentioned that there's like, you know, a sex trafficking ring around like the battlefield. I was like, fuck. That is crazy. 
Um, so yeah, there was just, we, we had heard that the, so we were at the top floor of this hotel and like five floor down or something was like the Iraqis. And we heard that they were like going to have, or that like part of this ring was like, they would bring prostitutes or whatever to who, like the guys that are out on the battlefield. And I was like, like, fuck that's going to happen while I'm here. Like, there's no part of me that would ever like be able to turn a fucking blind eye to that. I don't care what the consequences are. So it was because it's, it's kidnapped young girls. Like, you, it's not like they're out there just like offering up services to make money. That's a, I mean, you can have your moral standards wherever you want, but to me, that's a lot, a lot different. Yep. Um, than someone who's essentially held captive for it. Uh, so yeah, we had heard that like they were going to have this happen in this hotel. And I, I was like, fuck that. I was ready. I told my buddy, I'm like, if, if we hear or see any of this, if I hear or see any of this, I'm going down to that floor and I'm killing everybody. I was like, so will this you come with even, me? This wasn't even ISIS. This is no. Fucking, so ISIS fucking... does it for sure. Um, but this was like, this was the good guys. It's fucking demented. It's crazy. So I, the, that whole night, I watched like out the backside of the hotel because that's where we would like move in and out of and vehicles would come in and out of. And I had like observation on what the entrance they were using. And I was like, all right, this could be a very crazy night. Uh, nothing ever happened. I mean, thankfully, I guess for them or... or you know, maybe it was just a rumor. I, I don't know. But I was like, I was fucking crazy. I was so worked up because I'm like, this is in our building that like they're they're saying. Yeah, I don't know. It was wild. No fucking shit, man. Uh, do you remember? Well, you probably do remember like your first sniper kill. Oh, yeah. But so again, now I talked to Sean about this too. In that theater, it's not like... Uh, it's not like someone's a hundred meters away and you just blast them and they lay down in the fucking room. There been so many where I'm like, maybe like we're getting fired from a window. You send around through and then the shooting stops. <laughs> You're like, well, <laughs> it either worked. Well, it worked, but I don't know if the guy's laying there or if he's gone. So it was like almost like that all the time. It's it super hard to have like a confirmed now. We have video of a few, so I was like, okay, good. Uh, but for me, it was one that it was that long shot happened. So it was probably like two or three days after. Um, and it got closer and closer. It was probably at, I can't remember the building exactly, 22, 2300 meters, something like that. But a bunch of these fighters went into this this building because um, they, they didn't know where our rounds were coming from because they're, they're in a gunfight with the Iraqis and they're just like, you know, if we're not hitting them, there's like, where's this fucking round coming from? So they're in this, uh, like big, look like a kitchen window. And there's this guy and he's like, they couldn't figure it out. And I, I put one right through the, the window with my buddy spotting and he's like hit. And I just, I saw it go in. I was like, okay, that's the first, I think it was the first round that I'd seen, like go all the way to and through a target. And I was like, now, I don't know where it hit him either on the other side. He could have been bandaged. Well, no, it was a fifty cal. He probably was not bandaged <laughs> Big up. motherfucking bandaged. Yeah, but uh, 
I was like, okay, that's a bit of a satisfaction. And I mean, it sounds crazy to say that, but you train to fucking shoot. You train to kill bad guys. So when it happens, it feels pretty good. No, we need we need guys like that. Yeah. It's that fucking simple. Yeah. Like, like you said, if you don't, if that bothers you, sorry. Fuck yeah. It. Don't listen. Well, and we ended up doing an airstrike on that building anyway. So they all, they all got it. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Where are those coming from? Oh, all over the place. Whoever had jets in the stack, like there's all kinds of countries pitching in, which was which was good. Fuck yeah, my son would yeah. love that story. Yeah, <laughs> watch Top Gun Maverick like four days a week. Oh really? <laughs> oh fuck yeah. Oh yeah, that's fucking awesome. So that's in 2018. This would have been 26. I think this tour was 2016 into 2017. I'm trying to think, it was May. I should totally know this if I'm going to come talk about it on podcast. It's all good, man. Sometime around there. <laughs> had a few concussions. Yeah, yeah, hey, there you go, buddy. I've only had a couple from hockey, and fuck, I, yeah. those fuck you up. Yeah, yeah. How many concussions have you had? Like, do you even know? Like, it's, No, I don't know. It's There's, too many to know, right? It's the, the big problem. So I've had, like, a handful of big concussions, but the big problem is all the repetitive, smaller, like that MTBI stuff. So the 50 cal, the explosive breaches, the para openings. Like, that's the stuff that it brings on concussive like symptoms yeah um without like a full-blown you know you're in the dark for two days kind of concussion fuck fast forward to the why you're now a former yeah gtf2 sniper (laughs) and why the last few years have been fucking completely insane yeah um like i still can't believe that people couldn't believe that they would let cops go and cops would just be forced to quit i still fucking can't believe that like the elite of our our fucking warriors are they're letting them go like yeah like <laughs> what the fuck happened <laughs> it's so crazy uh well the mandate came from the government that like if you were going to continue to work anywhere uh i think it was public i can't remember which department it was like public service first or something um and the military followed suit before really it was a government order generals were like well we're going to do it too um, so it came to our workplace, uh, you needed to be, uh, vaccinated for COVID-19 or should I be using like <laughs> cover words? So that this doesn't get, we do whatever on here. <laughs> okay. You bleep those out. Yeah. Uh, in order to, to keep working, I was like, okay, well let's just take a look at this thing. I had no, I had no like political stance on a fucking Pfizer drug or whoever, you know, like I, I didn't give a shit. I'm like, I'll look into it and if it makes sense for me, okay. And then I started looking at things. And I'm like, well, there was just weird shit. I, I was like, I, it doesn't seem like I'm in the demographic that's really at risk for anything here. Um, so I was like, I'm just gonna pass. Uh, same thing I do with the flu shot. I'm like, I'm, I'm not worried about getting the flu. I'm not in the demographic that's gonna fucking die for the flu. And people I know get the flu shot. It doesn't seem like it works real well anyway. So for me, I don't get it. If you want to get it, go ahead. I really do believe in freedom. (laughs) That's why I did this fucking job for so long. So I was like, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm just going to wait and see. Like every week there was more information coming on like, take this one. Oh, wait, shit. Don't take that one that we said was safe because now there's blood clots attached to whatever, AstraZeneca. And then the next week's like, oh, J&J is the one. Oh, don't do that because people are getting... I was like, okay, yeah. literally every week something is changing. Yeah. So I just told my chain of command, I'm like, I just want to wait. Like, well, what's the big deal? I'm like, 
look, every week, they're like, how long do you want to wait? I'm like, I don't know. How much time can you buy me? Like, give me a few months. I'm like, well, what's a few months going to do? I'm like, I, and I came prepared. I'm like, all of this has happened in the last two weeks. Look at all these different articles. Look at all these different studies. Look at all these different concerns. And it just wasn't enough. They were, they were really pushing. They're like, like, if you don't get it, not only are you going to be like, start the release process, they're like expediting it. Like beyond, we didn't even have the right paperwork. to. So you were signing something. So when you get out, let's say you get kicked out of the military, there's like a bunch of paperwork and bullshit that goes with it. But the things you sign say like 60 days and then this is assessed and then blah, blah, blah. They were doing, they were trying to do it like in like a couple weeks. Wow. So you're signing something and I'm like, well, this isn't even the right fucking form. I'm like, am I now allowed to stay for 60 days before the next decision is made? Like, oh, no, it's all expedited. Well, then I'm not signing your fucking piece of paper. <laughs> that is not telling me what's actually happening. And it was just like, I just, after having a career where I'd never been in any administrative trouble, it was just like stacking up. <laughs> like, and I was throwing it in the garbage. But because on top of that, we had this mask charade going on that was like everywhere so there was part of me that was like a little sympathetic to like you know mom and pop shop that they're legitimately just afraid of a virus and they think that this is a solution so if you're gonna come buy something in their shop please put this on okay with everywhere else and mo and definitely in government places and our camp specifically it was just a giant charade i would be talking in an office let's say to you two more three more guys Okay, good to go. Oh, we're going to this other meeting, uh, and someone in there thinks that you should have a mask on, so you got to put a mask on. And I was like, "There's zero fucking chance I'm playing that game." So it would just be like I'd be this unmasked guy, just like getting stares. Like, why are you not? I'm like, you guys have all lost your minds because I know that everyone else in here, when I talked to you five minutes before, said that it was stupid, and now look at what you're doing. I couldn't believe it. So then it was just more, they were like, oh, that sergeant major didn't like that you weren't wearing a mask here. Here's another piece of administrative trouble for you. I'm like, okay, throw it in the garbage. Uh, and that's what <laughs> led to me getting kicked off of uh, kicked off of camp, kicked out of Dwyer Hill for good. I was, I was, go I was supposed to go to a meeting where they were telling me, because there was a process where you could put in paperwork to say like, here's why I feel I should be exempt from this uh, vaccine. So I met with a doctor who gave me a medical exemption because I said, hey, have you ever, is there any studies that say that this particular shot is okay with someone who's had a shitload of like concussions and MTBI events? Has, has anyone looked at that? No. Okay, well then to, I don't want to take this not knowing the risk of what it could do to like someone who already has brain injuries. A doctor gave me a, a medical exemption. Okay, so I had that. I talked to uh, some elders from the indigenous community I'm at and the beliefs, the conversation, they thought it wasn't the right thing. So I put in, based on that, my indigenous background and beliefs, a uh, religious exemption. And then there was another one. I can't remember all the details. It was something to do with like human rights or bodily autonomy or something. So I was like, here, I'm, I'm all of them. <laughs> like, I'm applying for all of them. And I was supposed to go to a meeting where they were just going to tell me why all of them were being declined. But this meeting so happened to be in a building and with people that 
masks were required. Uh, so like my immediate sergeant major was like, they're going to ask you to put a mask on. And I was like, I'm going to tell him to fuck off. And he's like, oh, man. Okay, so he goes in to try and like brief because it's our, our CO of our unit and the RSM, um, like the top kind of chain of command. So RSM comes out. He's like, Dallas, you have to put a mask on. I was like, I'm not doing that. I don't even own a mask. <laughs> uh, and I was like, okay, is everyone in this meeting going to be wearing a mask? He's like, absolutely. I'm like, well, then you're all safe if they work. And if they don't work, then why are you asking me to put one on? And then he got you know, a little bit puffy chested and he stopped calling me by Dallas and was like, Master Corporal Flamon. Uh, and I just, I had had enough. Like I hadn't zero fucks left to give. I didn't care. And I was like, don't get puffy chest with me. Like, and he, I told him, it's four at him as our Sergeant Major. So he's like, okay, get out. And he like opened the door to go outside. I was like, you coming outside with me? And he looked away and he had no response. And that was the last day that my pass ever worked <laughs> to get on to uh, our camp. So like the entire release process had to be done remotely because they wouldn't let me on camp. And then they wanted to charge me for like attitude to the Sergeant Major. Uh, and I was like, okay, but they, they couldn't charge me anywhere on camp because masks are required and I wouldn't wear a mask. They're like, well, maybe we could do it outside because of all the science, right? Uh, it's like, sure, tell me where to go. <laughs> like, I'll show up. So they did it like remotely. I was in my kitchen and they brought a laptop and it was like a Zoom call charge. <laughs> so what they charge you with? Insubordination or something? Yeah, it was like some bullshit. Uh, I can't remember it. I have like the, the paperwork right up for it, but it's kind of funny to me actually, I thought. Is it hard for you to believe that people that would go fight wars and do all this wild shit like would be okay with this or play along in this stupid fucking game? Did that surprise you? I was surprised at the amount of people that went along with it. Uh, and I was surprised at the amount of people that knew it was bullshit, said it was bullshit, and then went along with it. That That's what surprised me. Because I'm like, it is hard to get to JTF2. You go through a lot of different things to get there. They select a certain type of person that can go overseas and do these jobs uh, and and like, and like stand for, you know, <laughs> something. So I was super confused when, like, people didn't agree with it. They thought it was bullshit and just went along. Like, threatened enough, just went along with it. Like, you're going to lose your pay. Okay, fucking give it to me. I'll wear a mask and I'll take anything you want. I'm like, what the fuck? That, that blew my mind. Um, I I wasn't super surprised at like the amount of people in Canada or the world because if you just watch the news and that's where you get your information, it's not surprising. You know, like oh my doctor told me to. Okay, like that's a that's a pretty acceptable answer. If if you're just looking, you're not into health, you don't really look into this stuff. Saw it on the news, and then my doctor told me to. That's where people get their health advices from their doctor. So I'm like that part didn't surprise me. Um. The part that I was surprised by was just like, I think it's bullshit, but I'm doing it anyway. I'm like, well, that's weird. <laughs> and it's concerning. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or I found when, when society 
almost turned on our kids like like the brains shut off yeah like when we all knew that there was zero risk and jen being a pediatric nurse i'd be screaming at everyone i'm like guys i can tell you right now in uh, at that point before jen got fired i don't know if it was two years i'm like jen has not taken care of a single child for covid at all ever once right it doesn't matter right yeah we should all be afraid that's right i'm like do you want to be afraid? I'm very confused here. Yeah. But again, Jen said the same thing. She had, she had nurses that uh, were like deathly afraid of this thing, and yeah. but there was really no reason. So yeah, like yeah. the elites of the elite are saying it's dumb, but then going along with it, yeah. or people just can't use their eyes. Yeah. Well, there is a lot of fucking co- coercion. Like there was a lot of threats. There was, and then now you see the government backing up. Like, oh well, we didn't make anyone do it. We didn't get the fuck out of here. It was. Every like there was guys like I don't want to do this, but I can't lose my job. Like I, I'm not. I'm the sole provider. Like we're not set up to lose this paycheck if I get kicked out. Like extremely reluctantly going along with it because of threats and coercion. Yeah. And like that is not. You are not making the right medical decision if it's under those circumstances. No, it's fucking bullshit. <laughs> so like, uh, there's people that I just I feel for. Like they they stand for th- all the same things as I do. It's just the, they found that thing that made them, you know, money made them bend bend the knee. <laughs> yeah, money. Yeah, providing. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I've been screaming it forever. Just holding providing over people's heads. Yeah, is just so fucking gross. It's so gross. And I'm just like, I'm different. In a lot of ways, weird, I guess. Like, you talk to Sarah, she'll tell you. But I'm just like, it's going to be okay. You, even if we lose all our money, it gives a fuck. Like, I grew up very, like, not, like, we were quite poor. <laughs> like, okay. looking back at it. Like, uh, but my life was awesome. So I know, like, I don't need all this fucking shit to be happy. Happy. I'm like, I'm going to leave here with what I believe in and my morals. And I still got my family. We're going to be all right. Uh, but I also appreciate that, like, that's a product of a bunch of things, upbringing and a whole bunch of things that not everyone has the same. So, like, if you, if you find the right button to push for people, it's, it's do anything. And yeah, I was definitely surprised at how many people, like, I never fought in any wars, but like, guys who had gone to Afghanistan, people like being involved in like police shootings and the wild wild cop shit same thing like they forgot the whole freedom thing and why we do all these things and yeah. for the for the people and i i was shocked yeah. at how many cops went along with it but i were actually okay with it i fucking couldn't believe it yeah it's fucking crazy yeah do you miss it uh no like i mean i say that hesitantly because I really enjoyed deploying. Like, I I loved going overseas. Um, just, I like travel in general also. So, like, seeing a different culture, experiencing this stuff, and then experiencing, experiencing it from a, a place where, like, I can appreciate, like, no one gets to see, very few people get to see the world the way I was lucky enough to see it or be in these situations where just, like, you can't even buy that. Like you could be the richest motherfucker on the planet and you, you're not going to like do a 
tw- you know, 25,000 foot jump out of the back of a fucking bird in the middle of the night under O2 with a stack of dudes and it's like fly somewhere. Like, or like be, you know, on the side of a mountain and you're literally trying to find like a terrorist group that's doing like, like calling an airstrike or snipe. Like you just, you can't even buy that. So I really appreciated that like these experiences that I was getting or getting to be a part of were like pretty damn cool. Uh, but I, I appreciate the time, but I definitely, I don't long for it. Like I don't, it's just, it was, it was cool and I'm glad I got to be a part of it. But now I just, I'm excited to spend my time with my family and my friends and on my new passion. And so I appreciate it, but I, I don't like sit and, and long for it or anything awesome. like that. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, your new passion. So fucking upcoming country star. <laughs> hey, I, I love it, man. Did you bring your guitar overseas? Like, were you that guy or is this something? That's no, like- I, I wasn't doing it really long enough. Uh, we, we would have like in our bigger fobs overseas, there would be a guitar. There's enough musical dudes that there would be a guitar in almost every place that we had been for a little while. So I could, I could strum here and there at a campfire. Uh, but it's only been the last four and a half years or so that I've really like, this is what I want to do. So I started learning enough songs to play in bars and then just one little step at a time. That's badass. Or you you were already playing in bars, like obviously before you left the military. So it's sort of like, yeah, the last couple of years, there was a bit of a, I like, I had seen the unit change the, and the military change over the last few years. So it wasn't like this wasn't a huge shock to me. I was already like starting to trend away from it. Um, so I, I just I started learning how to play music and booking gigs, and I would go like to work, and then I would go play a bar show. Uh, and I was getting to play like three, four, five nights a week towards the end. It was it was busy. It was a good experience. Um, and then I moved into trying to. So I was writing songs this whole time or trying to write songs this whole time. Uh, and then I just wanted to kind of take whatever the next step was. And to me, that seemed like trying to play my own music in in venues that were like for concerts more than just like, a, you know, a bar show where you're, you're playing music. You're kind of like a jukebox, you know, while people drink and eat dinner and don't really pay attention most of the time to like, shows where you're, you're playing your music to people that want to hear it. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, but yeah, it started, you know, probably like the last two, two or three years of my military career, just really giving her. And I play like every fucking day. Yeah. <laughs> All day. Oh my God. Just always strumming around the house, doing something like it's, it's hilarious. Cause Sarah was, it was like my spouse. She's, was not a country music fan, <laughs> but she is a country music fan now. Fuck like yeah. you could quiz her, you play someone, and she'll probably know who's singing it if if it's good country anyway. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, what songs have you written? Did you, like, did you just write tons, and then now you play like you actually? Yeah, so I man, I've written so many songs that I don't play because they're shitty, <laughs> and so many. I we just got I just got done in the studio uh, last week in Calgary, recorded uh, eight songs that I'm going to have out this year on an album. That's so it's my awesome. first like studio album. Very excited about it. 
the musicians that worked on it were incredible like so inspiring to see how people could be so damn good at music um it just really helped shape the songs that i wrote into what they will be when they come out that's really cool that must be fucking hard to write maybe it just comes naturally naturally no uh it's definitely something to work at uh but it's like anything man anything you, you care about you put the work in and it you get better and better and better and then it's it's a bit of a mindset change too because now it's like uh want to be songwriter it's like all day i'm thinking in terms of like if you were talking and you say something i'm like oh shit that could be a, a lyric or that could be a title or that could be something and i'll make a little voice note or type it in my phone I just have a collection of all these and I'll travel in if I'm on a plane or something, I go through them I'm like, Oh, okay. Oh, this could be, and I'll, I'll write. And it's just, it's a very, I enjoy the creative, you know, process of all of it and trying to turn it into music at some point. That's cool. There's one song of yours. It was something, was it military related or, or something like that? It was just the, the lyrics were pretty like deep. It was probably "Let It Go" or "To a Hero." I'm guessing to if a it hero. was like, yeah, okay, "To a Hero." Yeah, yeah. I thought that was fucking like, well, it's a good song. It's a cool song. I it's kind of a a head nod, I guess. Like I I wrote it initially. That's one of the first songs I've ever written. Really? Yeah, and yeah. it's most of the first songs I wrote <laughs> are in the trash. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that one stuck around, and we actually cut it at the studio. But I think I'll I'll release it not on the album. I want to do something a little different. Uh, a separate single because it's it's pretty military and service kind of related. So I think I'll do something separate from the album for it. Yeah, that was a really cool song. I really I really like that one. Was it the psychedelics? What was that shit you did? Oh yeah, psilocybin. What was that stuff? <laughs> it's the magic mushrooms, but it's, okay. it's psilocybin is the the psychedelic. Yeah, is that something you did for like? PTSD or just like um, just working through shit? Yeah, I was working through shit. I, my brother passed away like four years ago. Um, and I found that really fucking hard to untangle. Um, I had always thought I was pretty mentally resilient. Um, you know, the, the, the stuff overseas, a lot of it doesn't linger in my psyche. Uh, any, you know, it's just... I didn't really ever have a hard time processing many things and loss. You know, I'd go through the cycle. I'd feel like, you know, I've lost family and stuff like everyone, but you know, it'd be sad. And then, you know, and then you go through the process and you can kind of let it go. Uh, I was having a hard time doing that with, for my brother. Like there's just so much expectation around. He's going to be there forever. You know, we're going to keep fishing and he'll be at my daughter's wedding and my boys growing up and all this shit. I fucking had a super hard time. So I started hearing podcasts about psilocybin. Um, and there's a bunch of studies now happening with it for stuff like PTSD. And uh, you can get, you know, like just the spectrum is, is huge for what it's being used for. So I was like, well, fuck. I like, I've never really done anything like that before. So I was like, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but I seen a lot of really positive things and I hadn't heard anyone say uh oh i did a big dose of psilocybin and after all is said and done i really regret it and there's and you can't like overdose to a point like you can't like oh i took 
six grams instead of five and I fucking died. You know what I mean? So yeah. there was like a bunch of things. I'm like, okay, that would be a concern. It's not really a concern. That would be a concern. It's not really a concern. Uh, but I just didn't know, I didn't want to do it most of it and I would I'm not a doctor but I would highly recommend <laughs> that you you go to like someone that knows what they're doing and you can have it guided and stuff like that I didn't do that uh I didn't know what would happen I didn't know what the effects like really really were when you were in your your trip so I didn't want to like get violent with somebody so I'm a big guy and I also have lots of training <laughs> and I was like I don't want to wake up and be like oh my god I killed three people while I was fucking on a psychedelic trip. So, and my ego, I think was a little too big to fully let go the way I did by myself. If other people would have been there, at least that's how I assessed it. Uh, yeah. So I took a massive dose of psilocybin, uh, all by myself and just conquered things that I had no clue. I needed to brought light to things that I had no clue required light to be shined on it uh it was just it was it was one of the most profound days of my whole life it was six hours or so and after the first one i was like oh okay i i would like have no there would be no want for me to be violent like it wouldn't have been a concern if even if anyone was there mm -hmm. um but the way i did it, it was just like in a very meditative state kind of thing going into it while everything was kicking in and man it just took me on a fucking trip that i really required um it wasn't like a party <laughs> like it was yeah. it was hell and it was like the saddest i've ever been and the maddest but also like it just went through a bunch of different cycles and a bunch of different things that were that was in my my mind i guess um but also like euphoric and, and happy and grateful and like it was crazy it's crazy. Yeah. Well, fuck it. Pick the pick my interest, especially like you know working with guys with PTSD. Like yeah. even like I always found the shit that bothered me at work. It was never the horrible things I saw or smelled or all that yeah. fucked up shit that you yeah. know that are horrible things. Yeah, it was. I always found it was like betrayal from the brass or that stuff would fucking get me. Oh, for right? sure. I, it was, it was, I always found it odd, but like the whole PTSD thing and mental health and yeah. like huge supporter of that stuff. And I, I thought that was fucking well, I think really it's, interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to do it probably every year or six months for the rest of my life. Like, I don't think it, it's just for if you're really, really struggling because everyone has all of these external things that, you know, make up your mind and, Every person, adult, has shit to work through. Whether you've been overseas or served as a police officer or first responder or not, every person has shit they got to work through. And I don't, again, I am for freedom, so take what you want, but I don't see the solution coming from prescription drugs from massive corporations. <laughs> that like, I, I just see it as a gigantic profit machine instead of looking out like wanting to have a healthy society. So that route is not for me. Um, and this, this, this plant is fucking medicine. It is insanely, uh, healing. It's, it's wild. Well, you fucking got my mind going. Cause I, I never even smoked weed. Like I like the whiskey. I like the red. I've never yeah. smoked weed in my life. Oh really? No, never. I was never into it really until, uh, it was like, got legal in Canada and I got out and I was like, and I, I 
I like CBD a lot more than like the THC kind of tripping weed, yeah. even though I enjoy that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I would, and I was never like, I never tried, like I was never just a drug guy, um, hockey and all this stuff, like whiskey, <laughs> like beer. Uh, yeah. But yeah, man, it's not, it's not a, it's not a party though. <laughs> you know, like I'm not no. done and I'm like, yeah, that was fun. I want to do it again. I'm like, I got to process It'll be a while really? before I come back. Yeah, like what the fuck just happened? It's it's wild. Uh, but again, so I've done it now three times, uh, really large doses, by myself every time. Even though I, I would be open to doing it guided or whatever. Now it's just logistically it's easy for me to just go by myself and take it. Uh, but all three were just insanely profound, profound days. Who guides something like that? Uh, there's a bunch of places that do. Most of it previously has been done in other countries. Uh, but there's some places popping up now because there is a lot of research. They're using like medical facilities now that are starting to do assisted therapy um, with things like psilocybin, MDMA, uh, what's the other one, ketamine. And they're finding like very, very good results for people that are really struggling with depression or PTSD and stuff like that. Really? Yeah. It's pretty profound. Like it, I, there's a place, most of them right now are just for, from what I've seen anyway, are for like vets and I think first responders and stuff, like just trying to help with PTSD being the biggest one. Um, but it's like, it's getting pretty close to legal. I think I was, I was hearing about a lot of places, a lot of different podcasts, health podcasts that I listened to and stuff. And I was like, for what I was working through, it was like, sounds like this could help. Okay. I fucking helped. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah. Fucking scare the shit out of Jen. <laughs> oh, guys, I know a bunch of guys that are like, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> I will never, I don't want to open up this box and see what's in my brain. I'm like, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's tough, but it's, I, I think it's extremely valuable for me. Yeah. No, it's it's good to know. What's the plan moving forward outside of, obviously, you know, you're probably doing podcasts all over the place. People probably want to. Uh, podcasts. Uh, I'm really focusing on songwriting and music careers. So I've been traveling around. I've been to Nashville a few times to to write songs and just meet people. Um, I'm playing shows whenever they make sense. We're going to play tonight. Uh, I just finished in the studio. It's going to be the first studio album coming out this year. Uh, and I'm super pumped about the songs and what we created there. They're, they're fucking cool. And I'm not just saying that because they're my songs. I, awesome. Most of the time I hear songs like, Ugh. <laughs> but like what the band did that, that we had there, man, they, they took these simple country songs that I wrote and with just some guidance to stay away from the pop radio sound, <laughs> we turned them into very cool, very cool songs. That's awesome. So yeah. what would you describe your, your country music as? I get asked this a lot, and I don't really have an answer. It's yeah. like, uh, it's a little more stripped down. It's a little darker. Uh, it's a mix between, like, country and southern rock. Just, yeah, with, like, it's a little darker. It's not, there's a lot of minor keys, if you know music. <laughs> like, we're in the studio, and they're like, this song's another minor key. I'm like, yeah, there's literally only one that's, like, 
a major key, which oh, yeah. makes it like it's a it's a vibe from like happier to kind of darker, sadder. Um, yeah, just it's music I that I really like is not the country music that's necessarily on the radio very much. It's like kind of red dirt Texas stuff and a little bit darker. Uh, that's what I love. That's the inspiration that I that comes to me when I write a song. Uh, there's a lot of like good party happy country songs that i like i don't know i just don't know how to write them <laughs> so yeah, i write what i write say. what i know yeah so it's just like a bit of a darker country mixed with some rock that's uh, cool do you have a band like a full-blown band with you when you travel uh really depends sometimes it's just solo acoustic songwriter stuff uh the show at bigger event like tonight's show is with a trio so it'll be drums and a fiddle and then i play i play guitar and sing um the studio was guitar, bass, drums, fiddle. Uh, we had mandolin, uh, banjo, harmonica. Like, we're going to have, have it all. So I wanted to make the album where my dream band is. You know what That's I mean? Like, so, like, we have our, you know, eight eight dudes playing all these instruments. That's what I would like to be able to tour with eventually. Sick. So it's the next goal. That's wicked. What's the what's the craziest place you've been like in your travels? Oh wow! Um, could not even JTF. It could be anything. Like what's the like even training anywhere in the world? I think the crazy. So the craziest I would say is because it blew my mind uh, was when I first got to Afghanistan. Um, I was expecting like. It's going to be great. Like, I'm ready, ready to fight. And I got to Kabul, and, like, it was, like, the first or second day I was there. I got taken to this, like, rooftop patio bar. And I was like, what the fuck? You could look over the city lights of Kabul, Afghanistan, and, like, I'm on, like, a rooftop patio bar. I'm like, okay, I did not expect this. <laughs> I did not expect this at all. Uh, that was probably the craziest just cause it stood out so much from what I was expecting to what it was. Cause there's like embassies, there's a green zone, there's all kinds of NGOs, there's restaurants and stuff that are in these cities or in Kabul, especially. So I was like, that blew my mind. That stands out. It's one of the craziest. You guys, I guess you guys had a little bit more freedom when you were overseas. Like, could you guys have some beers here and there? I know when a lot of guys go overseas, it's like dry yeah. uh, thing. Oh, right. you guys, I guess, have like it. Well, are you supposed to or did I? <laughs> Two different things. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did, man. I fucking had a great time. Uh, but it was really like, because a huge part of that tour, to go back to that, is like, if, if you're doing a job like that one, especially, networking is massively important. Like, the, and there's all kinds of countries in this city that have embassies and other teams running around doing the same thing, doing all kinds of other stuff. So networking was huge. Um, so when I network, I like to have a cocktail. You have to. You have to. <laughs> yeah. Do you still talk to anybody that you met like, like in Iraq or Afghanistan or all? Anywhere? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like guys from other teams we worked with, uh, had a few guys reach out after Sean Ryan stuff like, Hey man, we're at this, uh, this place together, that place together. And actually he had, uh, a guy on his show, and I was like, "Fuck, that guy looks familiar." On the Sean Ryan show, and then I, I was like, "I met him somewhere," and I had an idea of where it was. Uh, and then I had a guy reach out and was like, "Hey, 
check this picture out. And we were both at the same place at the same time. And it was like a Christmas party or something. I was like, I knew I met him. So I reached out and he's like, oh, that's crazy. What a small world. Um, yeah, so I keep in touch with some of the, some of the dudes I met along the way. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Where can everybody find your your info and your tours and your concerts and all the shit? Uh, everything's online. Dallas Alexander will get you to most searches unless I'm currently shadow banned by Instagram and then it gets tougher to search. Then you search I am Dallas Alexander. You have to put in the whole thing because they will not auto-populate a lot of yeah, my stuff sometimes. I've heard that a few times. Uh, DallasAlexander.ca is my website. All the shows and, and everything are on there. Just... Online as Dallas Alexander, you'll find somewhere. Love it. Go to the go to the Mexico trips or Cabo or Sorry, I'm play, play Del Carmen. Play Del Carmen this October and then Cabo in January. I love it. That's pretty fun. Yeah, I love it, man. Yeah, if you're on vacation, go check them out. Yeah, fucking uh, no, huge thanks for coming, man. Your story's is fucking. It's incredibly fucked at the same time as as, as <laughs> yeah. you know. You've had a you've lived quite a fucking awesome life so far. An it's amazing wild. story and. Um, I'm happy for you. You know, you got out and, and you're doing something you love. That's, you know, yeah. if there's anything I could say to everybody that, uh, it sounds like you've had the same conversations with guys in the military as oh, I've yeah. had with cops, like, you know, wishing that they could go, uh, and do something else, which I think is sad in, in a way, but yeah. you know, if that's where you're at, man, fucking find your passion. That's right. Like, like you have, and you know, have a backup plan that you love yep. while you're, while you're stuck there. And if I can say that, you know, find something that you love and be passionate about it. Yeah. Start working on the next thing, man. It's like a lot of people have to have a job to support whatever their passion is. It's, I think it's the same for guys getting out of the military or, or police, you know, like you can start working on it now. It starts as a side hustle and can become your, your every single day. And then, and then you're not working anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm almost thank, thankful for COVID in a way. So, oh, I am. You know, I it's in, in a way. I still want to fucking punch people in the face and fucking <laughs> ask people what the fuck is wrong with them. But you know, the next level, yeah. fuck man, life, yeah. life is way better now. Yeah, right. So yeah, in a tyrannical way, thank you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, man. I look forward to tonight's concert in uh, what six hours, seven hours now. Yeah, what do we got? Yeah, yeah. You better get you the fuck out of here. Yeah, I'm gonna go first. <laughs> All right, man. Everybody's just so sensitive. It's crazy. It's ruined so many friendships. Okay, I'm gonna come back later. Why would I care about my haters? All I care about is my friends, my family, and my Lord and Savior. I'm back now on a track now. West Virginia's finally on the map now. I just do my Thing like I never left my flow is heaven sent. I'm eating jerky, it's venison. I am pure excellence. I am the excrement. Everybody's in the room. I'm the elephant. Hey, hopping in my truck. I'm coming. Keep that engine running. Just caught me a new chain with yellow stones. I feel like John Dutton. Y'all boys lame like Jamie. Me, I'm more like Casey. On these tracks, I'm Beth. Cause I go crazy. Yeah, I'm wild and free. Got riders with me. They call my boy Rip, cause when you see him, it's R.I.P. Met a girl downtown at the bar last night, and we got to talking. Said she likes cheap drinks and tattoos and